Um, this morning's subject is the wonderful subject of grace. What a subject that is. And the title of this morning's session is Living Together in Grace. Together being our campaign title. All aware of many, many scriptures that talk about the grace of God. And one of the most famous is Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9, which tells us that it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Sure, that's familiar to many of you. But here's a question that I want to explore this morning. Do you think it's possible for us as individuals and also for us corporately as a church to quote scriptures on grace, to confess belief in grace, to preach about grace and of course to sing about grace which we often do and yet in reality be living under law surely not surely not is it really possible that some of us evangelical Christians and churches are not actually living under grace at all So that's what I want to explore with you this morning. See what we think. So let's start this morning with the law. Now the law says, doesn't it, do not commit adultery. And that's very simple, very plain, easy to understand. Do not commit adultery. But then Jesus comes along. And he says in Matthew 5 and verse 22, sorry, verse 28, that even looking at someone with lust in our heart is committing adultery. So what Jesus seems to be saying is that contrary to many of our expectation, Grace doesn't lower the bar of acceptability. It actually raises it. That's a strange one, isn't it? Strange to get our heads around that idea. So let's go around this loop again. The law says, do not commit murder. Again, very clear, very plain, very easy to understand. Until Jesus comes along again. And in verse 22 of Matthew 5, he says, even holding anger in your heart against someone is committing murder. And Jesus continues to teach in that vein, raising the bar of acceptability under grace right the way through the whole of Matthew chapter 5. It's raising the bar 
of acceptability. So you can't even get angry without committing murder. You can't even look at someone inappropriately without committing adultery. Jesus seems to be raising that bar impossibly high. Precisely. That's the whole point. All we have to do is to say, Lord, I can't live to that standard. It's beyond me in my own strength. Help me. And as soon as we say that, something strange and wonderful happens. And you know what that is? Jesus takes that bar and he throws it away. He gets rid of it altogether. And he makes us totally righteous in the eyes of God by his grace. Romans 3 and verse 24. So that's the theology. And most of us are aware of and believe in the theology. The problem, however, often comes in living it out. You see, we in the church are rather fond of our bars, aren't we? We love our bars. I'm not talking about the rose and crown down the road, but our bars of acceptability. You see, bars give us a measure of holiness and ensure right order and behaviour in the church. And as much as we all love Jesus... Some of us are a bit sceptical about this idea, his idea of throwing the bar away. And so what often happens in churches is something like this. In what you might call tolerant churches, they hang on to their bar, but decide to keep lowering it lower and lower until such time as everyone can meet that low standard. And all they succeed in doing, of course, is promoting what is known as cheap grace. Cheap grace justifies the sin and not the sinner. True grace justifies the sinner but not the sin. And then you have what you might call the conservative churches. And they also refuse to let go of their bar, but they go the opposite way and they start raising it. And we hear things like, we don't want that kind in our church. Liars, gossips, drunks, adulterers, etc., etc. And what happens in both types of church is that because we cannot bring ourselves to obey Christ's command to throw the bar away, we end up living under law and not under grace. And the grace that Jesus talked about is never truly received or experienced in those type of churches. How do we, rec- we recognise when that type of thing is happening in, in church? Well, we hear things like, 
You shouldn't do that. Christians don't swear and they certainly don't dress in that way. And those friends of yours you hang out with at the pub, well, we think that that behaviour is just not pleasing to God. You should really think about the people that you associate with. Now, did you know that every time we use the word should, we are operating under law. We still have our bar, our precious bar, in place. And we have ceased to live under the wonderful gift of grace. Why do we do that? Why do we so often do the exact opposite of what Jesus taught us to do? And the reason is that we've missed the point about grace and we really think that our good behaviour is earning us enough brownie points to be made right with God. See, a man walked into his GP surgery and he said to his GP, Doctor, I have this awful headache. Had it for some time. Could you give me something to deal with it, please? And the doctor said, well, sure I can, but let's ask you a few questions first. Okay, said the man. So do you drink uh, much alcohol? Alcohol, said the man indignantly. I never touch the filthy stuff. Okay, okay, said the doctor. Uh, What about smoking? Do you smoke a lot? And the man said, I think smoking is disgusting. I've never in my life touched alcohol. Okay. Uh, Okay. Um, This one, said the doctor, I'm a bit embarrassed to ask this one, but you know the way that some men are. Do you do any running around at night with what we might call loose women? Of course not. How very dare you, said the man. I'll I'll have you know that I'm in bed by 10 o'clock every night without fail. The doctor rubbed his chin. said, I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Is this pain that you've got, is it like a sharp shooting pain around this area here? And the man said, yes, exactly. That's, That's what I've got. Can you give me something for it? And the doctor said, well, I think the solution is simple. Your problem, my friend, is that your halo is on too tight. And it just needs loosening a little. You see, could I suggest that the trouble with many of us Christians is that we have this incurable, or almost incurable, religious streak in us that deceives us into thinking that we've actually got it half right spiritually. And so we meet someone in the street who hasn't been to church for several months. And instead of being gracious with them and compassionate and maybe inviting them home for a chat and a coffee, we start lecturing them on commitment 
or we meet someone who's struggling with doubt about whether God even exists. And instead of just being there for them and allowing them to work through their doubts, we jump in and tell them to pray more, to read their Bible more, as if doubt was only for the unspiritual. And of course our Western culture that we live in, that we all live in, doesn't help us with grasping this concept, this wonderful concept of grace, because we're brought up on uh, slogans, aren't we, like there's no free lunch. You get what you deserve. You want love, well, you earn it. And uh, you want mercy, well, show that you deserve mercy. And these ideas have become established in the church and routinely distort the gospel. And the result is that although lip service is paid to the gospel of grace... Many Christians really believe that they can fix themselves. They really believe that. I've met so many Christians who believe that they can fix their fallen, degenerate nature by their own efforts. It's a bit like the young guy who had just qualified as a plumber and he was taken to see Niagara Falls and he studied it for a minute it's a wonderful spectacle of the falls falling over that one that chasm great sight and he thought about it and then he said yeah I think I can fix that you see I wonder if you have ever heard the voice of grace calling to you it often calls out when we are in great pain and turmoil. And it calls out in the dark valleys of our lives, which we all go through. And it calls out when, after a lifetime of longed-for perfection that we're all longing for, we want to be perfect in the eyes of God, we realise that the old compulsions and urges within us are still very much there. And through all this, the voice of grace simply calls out, you are accepted, accepted by that which is far greater than you. Don't do anything. Don't make any promises of improved behaviour. Simply receive the fact that you are accepted. And if and when that happens to us and we act upon it, we experience grace. Now, most of you will be familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. He had demanded that his father give him his inheritance in advance. And then he went off, you all know the story, went off and squandered the whole lot. And he ended up literally living in a pigsty, eating the pig food. And he had reached what we might say, he had reached rock bottom, deservedly so. 
And you know the story, he sheepishly returns home to his family, dreading the reception that he would get. But his father had compassion on him and he ran out to meet him and showered him with blessings. And he received, that prodigal son, he received grace. Wonderful story. Here was a man who had actually, who had acted shamefully and ended up living in a pigsty. Did he deserve condemnation? Yes, he did. Did he deserve judgment from his father? Well, yes, he certainly did. But neither of those things would have helped him because he couldn't get any lower anyway. He knew all about condemnation. He had constantly thought about it during his journey back home. He knew all about judgment and had assumed that that was coming. But he knew nothing about grace. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace goes even further. And grace is getting what you definitely don't deserve. Grace is the only thing he really needed. And grace is what he received. And my guess is that that would have changed his life forever. Now, bring that story into our day, the present day, and we might say to such a wretched man, have you ever thought of uh, going to church? And what an indictment on the church it would be if he were to reply why would I go there I feel bad enough about myself already see that's the danger of a church which is living under law instead of under grace and we all need to challenge ourselves I think with these questions how do we typically react to a person who is suffering because of their own sin, their own foolishness, someone who suffers heart disease through overeating, someone who has contracted uh, sexually transmitted disease because they've been sleeping around, someone uh, who has a gambling addiction and has become bankrupt. For example, do we secretly think to ourselves, it's no more, you know, than they deserve. You reap what you sow. That's the law. Precisely. But shouldn't we be living under grace? People who understand grace always react first with compassion. Always. Never judgment because there but for the grace of God go I is an ever-present reality in their lives. Is that you? Is that me? Are we people who exude grace? Or do we avoid sinners 
because for us sin is sticky you see the religious people of the New Testament considered sin sticky if you spent time with dirty sinners then they believed the sin would stick to you and sadly that's what parts of the modern church still teach today Jesus hung around with sinful people and so the religious people watched him you what they watched him befriend prostitutes and uh, tax collectors and they said to themselves he's going to get tainted by their sin and what did they call Jesus for doing that they called him a sinner Jesus believed the opposite as far as he was concerned it was grace that was sticky not sin that's why he sought out the wrong people and when a person falls morally we say don't we he has fallen from grace but Jesus would fundamentally disagree I think with him we don't fall from grace we fall into grace together in grace and the message of the church needs to be the message of Jesus not condoning the sin but redeeming it in a way that fallen uh, hopeless broken people feel drawn to change because they're getting a taste of something they've always longed for and that is love and acceptance the late bible scholar donald barnhouse said it best when he said this he said love that goes upwards is worship love that goes outwards is affection but love that stoops low is grace what a wonderful quote that is think about it who's lower than someone in a pigsty the truth which often we don't get is that we are all in the pigsty not just prodigal sons but nice kind people pastors bank robbers bible teachers we're all every single one of us and it's the only when we know that we're in the pigsty that grace begins to mean something and it's not until the grace penny drops that anybody has a hope of being saved it's as important as that for it is by grace that you have been saved truly grasping the truth of grace is what saves us. It's what sets us free, free from self-deception, which I'm afraid to say is rife amongst religious people. It keeps us from self-denial so that we can openly confess that although Christ was victorious, we all know Christ was victorious, but the battle with lust and pride and envy and all that ug other ugly stuff still churns within, e within each one of us. 
And to live by grace starts by being honest with ourselves and with those that we are close to, particularly in our faith community, about the real me. Does anybody know the real you? And do you know something? When we start being honest and transparent about the real me, we begin, first of all, to know ourselves. We begin to draw closer to our friends because, believe it or not, vulnerability is an extremely attractive quality. And most of all, of course, we draw closer to God. We stand amazed at the grace of God that he should love a wretch like me. How about you? How about me? Do we really believe that we're in a pigsty, that nothing good lives in us? Have we ever understood that to receive God's grace, the old me needs to be broken, to be brought low? You know, God once said to Paul, didn't he? My grace is sufficient for you. And he went on to tell Paul that my power is made perfect in your weakness. Has that ever been a reality for you and me? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Are we prepared to humble ourselves that he might lift us up? Have we ever trusted him to do that? If not, would we trust him now? You know, it takes courage and it takes faith to stop relying on our so-called goodness and trust solely in the grace of God. What about you and me? Can we move forward together in this? I finish with this quote from Gordon MacDonald, who is a good friend uh, of LCF. He said this, the world, the world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. And only those who have received grace can offer grace to others. Have Amen.